in terms of like, can we use artificial intelligence to do economic analysis and forecasting? Can economists use artificial intelligence? Definitely. And it's already happening. So economists at central banks and elsewhere are using big data analysis and uh, to try to forecast things like inflation rates and so on. But you also need to be a little bit more careful. You need to be careful with that. Constraints drive innovation. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, a show where we discuss the innovative ways organizations and their leaders overcome complex issues at work. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at our shiny new website, insidetheboxpodcast.com, and on all of your favorite podcast platforms by searching Thinking Inside the Box. And if you enjoy the work we're doing here, consider leaving us a five-star rating, a comment, and subscribing. It ensures you get updated whenever we release new content and really helps amplify our message. In today's episode, I chat with Julius Probst, the European labor economist at AppCast. Julian's a PhD graduate from Lund University in economic history and brings a unique perspective to the table, combining his knowledge of historical economic patterns with current macroeconomic trends. And we started there, with Julius sharing his journey from his early passion for macroeconomics and monetary economics during his bachelor's and master's study to more recently his role at AppCast. And the conversation shifted to the heart of European labor economics. Julius provides an in depth analysis of the current trends emphasizing how macroeconomic factors such as inflation, GDP growth, and policy decisions ultimately influence the European labor market dynamics. He highlights the importance of demographic variables, drawing connections between population trends and workforce changes, and how these elements are integrated into his own unique economic analyses. And that demographic piece cannot be overstated. Considering the opportunity in front of us, the future of organizational talent, what simply got us here won't get us there as our population rapidly ages. And Julius was kind enough to provide a perspective that was really helpful to illuminate some of those dark corners. It was another in a line of memorable discussions, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did recording it. And now I bring you Julius Probst. Hello, Julius. How are you doing today? Hi, Matt. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Looking forward to this chat. It's going to be a fun conversation. And But before we get there, let's learn a bit more about your background, your experiences, and what's led you to today. Sure thing. Yeah, so I'm uh, Julius uh, Probst. I'm the European Labour Economist for APCAS, based here in London. APCAS is uh, the global leader in programmatic recruitment and uh, is part of the StepStone Group which is one of the leading job boards worldwide and active in about 30 countries or even more. I have a PhD in economic history. I'm German, but I studied for most of my life abroad. So I did my bachelor in economics at Maastricht University in the Netherlands and my master and my PhD uh, in economic history at Lund University in Sweden. And Lund University is one of the largest Scandinavian universities. And so after I was done with my studies, I worked briefly for half a year for the European Central Bank. And then afterwards, I worked for Macrobond, which is a macroeconomic and financial data provider. And now I'm working for AppCast since the beginning of this year, so since January. And the collection of that experience gives you a unique vantage point into a period of time that I think for lack of underutilized adjectives, I would say is 
an unprecedented time in our history as we move forward into this interesting, you know, kind of realm of demographics mixed with labor uncertainty, mixed with technology innovation. I'm just curious, from your perspective, would you mind sharing some of your insights on the current trends that you're seeing in European labor markets and how you're seeing macroeconomic factors affect and influence those labor market dynamics? Yeah, definitely. So I'll focus mostly on on the UK, but also on European labor markets. And as you rightly said, the last couple of years have been quite unprecedented. And there has been a lot of things going on, the COVID pandemic, then we got the vaccines, then we got an economic recovery. So it has been a very unique time period in recent economic history. And the labor market also underwent some significant uh, fluctuations and is, is seeing some changes right now. So here in the UK, obviously, as in all the other advanced economies, the economy was shut down temporarily during COVID. Obviously, these lockdowns significantly affected GDP and unemployment increased temporarily as well. And then during 21 and 2022, we saw kind of like a relatively strong economic recovery, not quite as strong as in North America, but European economies also recovered quite, quite quickly from the pandemic after, after the population got vaccinated. And so in 2022, the UK labor market was actually extremely tight. So that means that the unemployment rate was actually very, very low. Employment growth was very strong, and also the UK is, is suffering from some of the after effects of, of Brexit, which is leading, has been leading to, to labor shortages in certain sectors. And so during 2022, a lot of companies and in some sectors you had labor shortages and a lot of companies were, were actually struggling to recruit. It was a pretty good labor market for, for workers. And now obviously this year that has actually changed a little bit because the economy is slowing down and recruitment has definitely slowed down as well. Well, let's talk a bit about that. Before we get there, I'd love for you to speak a bit more about the demographics that are playing a piece in this, because as you alluded to, the confluence of two factors, one, you have the pandemic and the obvious economic implications of the, as you mentioned, global shutdown in most developed economies. And then you have on the top of that, you have record low unemployment, which those two factors usually don't work side by side. They're usually in very different um, trajectories from one another. Talk a bit about the demographics in the European market, the UK market, and how are they affecting the current situation that we find ourselves in today? Yeah. So I myself, I'm writing quite a bit about demographics and long-run demographic developments because they are currently affecting European labor markets quite a bit, especially my home country, Germany, which has had extremely low fertility rates for decades. And actually, Germany's population would be shrinking if it wasn't for decades already, if it wasn't for immigration. And Germany's labor force is stagnating as well. Here in the UK, demographics are actually quite similar. They are a little bit better than in Germany, but you have a similar trend where actually the labor force is going to stagnate uh, in the coming years. And you have this very large generation of baby boomers who will most likely retire in the coming years and, and leave the labor force. 
now what you've seen over the last decade, and this will, will be even more pronounced in the decade to come, as I said, is this stagnating labor force, and that is affecting the labor market already today. So we have in countries like Germany, also in the UK, we have historically low unemployment rates all over Europe, but especially in Germany. And that is happening despite the fact that the economic growth is actually quite weak. So Germany's economy just has entered a recession. But what I've written about is that it's a full employment recession. And so this is something very different from what you had a couple of decades ago. So at the moment, countries can experience economic weakness, even negative growth rates for short periods without significant labor market weakening. And so in Germany, you have a historically low unemployment rate, even though the economy has shrunk for, for several quarters now. It is an interesting period of time. And I think that's why I'm curious to hear your perspectives on how all these factors influence your work or your thinking at AppCast. Yeah, so at AppCast and, and us being part of StepStone, we are looking at uh, at these long-run demographic changes, obviously, quite closely. It also does, does factor into our company's thinking and strategy, obviously. So I think for job boards in general, this is an interesting time in the sense that now, especially last year, it has been a quite difficult period of time for recruiters and companies in general to hire people because you have this rapid economic recovery on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have like these long-run demographic factors that will mean that the labor force is actually stagnating. Companies will have to look at these developments, monitor them, and, and countries in general as well. Obviously, one way of tackling these issues is to allow for more migration. Another way would be with technological change, so replacing workers with robots, in a sense, and achieve higher productivity growth, these kind of things. And when we think about the broader economics, you mentioned in your uh, introduction and about your background and experiences, you were looking a lot at historical economic patterns. And I think one of the reasons, Julius, why I love demographics, and you mentioned in particular the long-range demographics, is that it's the closest thing that we have to some sort of future-facing crystal ball. You know, we can look and say that somebody who's 30 years old today is going to be 40 years old 10 years from now, 50 years old 20 years from now, 60 years old, and so on and so forth. When you think about historical economic patterns and events, especially the ones that you explored during your PhD, I'm curious if they've informed, if at all, your understanding and analysis of the current situation that we find ourselves in. That's a good question. Obviously, when you look at economic history, there you can always draw parallels. But at the same time, what we've experienced over the last couple of years has been quite unique with the, with the COVID pandemic, the intermittent economic shutdowns. And before that, the decade before, we had the 2008-2009 great financial crisis. Um, obviously, something like that has occurred in the past, right? And that's why it's also so interesting to, to study economic history, actually. And I think some economists are maybe st should be studying economic history more because 
the 2008-2009 financial crisis, that is something very similar to the Great Depression of the 1930s, for example, right? So in the 1930s, you had like a financial crisis, you had banking failures, you had a recession that lasted for a few years, and all of that also affected the labor market. You had mass unemployment. In 2008-2009, it wasn't that bad, but still unemployment rates rose significantly, both in the U.S. and in Europe, right? So I think you can always draw parallels to the past, but then again, some economic events are actually quite unique. And what, what happened during COVID in 2020, when that hit us, that was something that was actually quite unique worldwide, obviously, and had like large implications for the economy and the labor market. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. And before we continue, I want to update you on my latest creative project, This Week at Work. Every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's 10 a.m. Eastern and 3 p.m. GMT, my good friend Chris Rainey of HR Leaders and I discuss the latest trending topics on the minds of executives globally. From organizational culture to technology and the future of work, we cover it all. And we invite some of our favorite colleagues to join us, from Dave Ulrich to Whitney Johnson, and executives from iconic brands such as NASA, Krispy Kreme, and WebMD. What can I say? We like to keep things interesting. And if you've been following us for a while, you'll no doubt recognize the fun partnership Chris and I have developed over years podcasting together. We're not afraid to be real, share our own challenges, and ask the tough questions. Joining? Well, that part's easy. Follow me on LinkedIn, click the bell icon on the top right of my profile, and you'll get notified when we go live. And now, back to our discussion. And when you think about the role of today, 2023, we've talked a lot about the labor market, the contraction of certain markets and from a demographic perspective, from an economic perspective. I think we'd be remiss in 2023 to not have a conversation about artificial intelligence. And when you read articles on whether it's LinkedIn or your preferred media source, you see lots of conversations and hanging about artificial intelligence as a vehicle to see potentially, in some cases, job loss. People may lose their jobs in some cases. And I think that, in large part, is probably overblown given the broader digitization of at least enterprise organizations. I'm curious when you think about the current situation, economically speaking, what role does artificial intelligence play in your analysis? And when you're thinking about forecasting, are you thinking about using artificial intelligence in different ways yourself in your practice than perhaps you have in the past? Yeah. So I do think that now with artificial intelligence, it could potentially a game changer for the economy and the labor market in the very long run. But it is also a little bit too early to tell, right? And so I think you're also right when you say that the fear of uh, mass unemployment or technological unemployment is, is overblown. Um, so that fear has always existed, even already during the Industrial Revolution more than 100 years ago, right? But what we've seen over the last couple of decades with those demographic factors is that unemployment rates actually generally have been trending downwards in countries like Germany and in Europe, as we discussed. So I think artificial intelligence can help the economy in the long run, 
help workers to be more productive, which would generate uh, increases in, in, in living standards, but it will also not happen overnight. If you think back and look at the implementation of the internet and all of that, it took many, many years for internet adoption to be widespread. And it also took several years for companies to change how they do business and so on, for productivity growth to accelerate in the U.S. economy in the 1990s and early 2000s and in Europe as well. Artificial intelligence also will not be a game changer overnight, but it will take several years for this technology to be adopted by the business sector and for it to have an impact on labor productivity and to increase incomes, uh, et cetera. So I think it, it really does take some time for technology to affect the economy and the labor market. In terms of like, can we use artificial intelligence to do economic analysis and forecasting? Can economists use artificial intelligence? Definitely, and it's already happening. So economists at central banks and elsewhere are using big data analysis and to try to forecast things like inflation rates and so on. But you also need to be a little bit more careful. You need to be careful with that, right? Because the more data you have, the more overwhelming it can become and can also kind of like be your analysis that can become too noisy in a sense, right? If you have like a million or several million data points, yeah, on the one hand, it can help you to maybe do kind of like a little bit more precise forecast, but it can also just generate more noise. So, so I think you have to be careful there as well, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. You know, I recall in a previous life when I led an analytics function for a large global organization and the access to information was never the issue. We had millions of data points that we could analyze and ingest and you know model and take action presumably against. But oftentimes we found ourselves stuck in this loop of change management and accountability and to your point, really struggling to take action that's meaningful and collaborative with the information. And I think artificial intelligence, while it gives you the opportunity to enhance and obviously exponentially increase your computing capability and analysis capability, to your point, garbage in, garbage out, if we're not looking at the right hygiene elements, if we're not approaching the, you know, the problem set with the right kind of discipline and you know, alignment, we're going to run into challenges. And in fact, bigger challenges with artificial intelligence, it's analysis on steroids. And I think it's an interesting factor among many. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today, because I thought as we talk about the broader factors that are affecting organizations and workforces, as an HR executive, oftentimes I'd spend most of my time looking inside the four walls of an organization. Organization. I was really focused on what's happening within my organization, you know, what's happening in the employee base, what's the current strategy of the organization, where are we going, et cetera. Increasingly, as I, though, as I talk to HR leaders of today, they're spending more and more time looking externally because the external factors are having a much larger impact on the day-to-day -day than they did five, 10 years ago. If I'm a business leader today sitting in an organization, regardless of function, what are some of the most pressing economic challenges that you see from your vantage point today? Well, it depends on a little bit on where you operate, obviously, right? So I would say if you are in, in Europe, in a country like Germany, one of the biggest issues today is really that kind of like worker shortage and skilled worker shortage. So it is estimated uh, right now already that there is at least half a million workers missing in Germany right now, probably more. 
And this problem will just become more serious in the coming years. Germany did receive kind of like a large, relatively large inflows of immigrants over the last 10 years as well. But a lot of them have been refugees from Ukraine, from Syria, from the Middle East in general. They probably do not speak German. They also might not be well educated. So Germany, despite those inflows, is is actually still facing kind of like a worker shortage of of skilled workers. And that is a serious issue for more and more companies in Germany right now. So if you there's these surveys and more and more companies are actually reporting that the one factor that is holding back their production is, is workers. If you are somewhere else, if you are in the UK, for example, you also have this worker shortage, but uh, for a different, slightly different reason. On the one hand, you also have the demographic factors, but you also have the factor of Brexit, right? So with Brexit, you have now here in the UK uh, a worker shortage in uh, manual occupations and blue collar uh, sectors. And another serious issue here in the UK is the housing market. So the UK has a pretty serious dysfunction when it comes to the housing market. And also that is kind of distorting the labor market. So internationally, house prices here in the UK compared to incomes are extremely high, especially in the greater London area. And that is increasingly having a very large negative effect on the labor market. I'm curious, when you're looking for information, where do you go for sources? Do you have people in your network that you go to? Are you following certain people on LinkedIn or subscribing to certain magazines or articles? I mean, just curious, when you're looking to get information, where you go? Yeah, so I generally read economic news. I'm reading Bloomberg News, The Financial Times, The Economist. That are three very good sources, I would say. And other than that, I'm also obviously reading research papers, so academic research papers that are coming out on the labor market, the macroeconomy. But for somebody who just want to read kind of like economic news that are like more easily digestible, I would suggest Bloomberg and the Financial Times. But if I may say so, maybe also uh, our own blog, uh, Recruitonomics, where I write about the UK and European labor market and the economy. If you take a moment and just step back and think about the future as you see it, what are some of the projections that you have for the labor markets in which you're looking at today, whether it's the UK market, the European market, even the broader global market? What are some of the things that you see in our future, let's say on the kind of one to three year horizon? I think over the next year, Europe and also the UK will continue to struggle with this current economic slowdown. So as I said before, Germany is already in a recession. The UK will most likely fall into a recession by the end of this year or in the beginning of next year. And these recessions will most likely not have a substantial negative impact on the labor market. Unemployment rates will continue to be relatively low, but obviously they will have an effect on living standards. So I think Europe and the UK will continue to struggle with like an environment where of extremely slow or even negative growth. But after that, obviously, there will also be an economic recovery within the like one to three year uh, time horizon. 
Yeah, I think it's important to point out for folks, it's very easy to get caught up in the here and the now. We all want to live in the present. And as you would rightly point out, economics are about cycles. And we're in the midst of a cycle right now. Now, yes, there are factors that are unique to this period of time, given the aforementioned things around the pandemic and technology innovation. But the economy goes through ebbs and flows. And it certainly is in certainly a, a unique period of time now. But when we take a step back and look at the broader picture, we can start to infer certain lessons that we can apply in our organizations today. And I think, Julius, you've been really helpful today in helping illuminate some of those things that organizations are thinking about some of the factors they should be paying attention to, and where they can go to for information. So in return, if folks want to get a hold of you directly, what's the best place to reach you? Yeah, the best place to reach me is just to connect with me via LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of charts about the UK and European economies and labor markets there, and also post all my articles on LinkedIn. Very good. Yeah. And I, as somebody who has been a regular follower of your content for the last little while, I can certainly attest to the quality and I'll link the details for your LinkedIn profile in the notes of this podcast. Julius, thank you so much for your time today. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Max. Vento HR is a digital transformation consultancy working at the intersection of strategy, technology, and people operations. We partner with organizations, private equity, and venture capital firms to accelerate value creation and identify the organization's highest leverage initiatives. And this can take place in many forms, from strategic planning and alignment to technology procurement, implementation, and integration, along with organizational design, process reengineering, and change management. With our proven track record of working with complex, high-growth organizations, we provide a lens that goes beyond the balance sheet, increasing enterprise readiness, resilience, and value. For more information, check us out at bentohr.com.